Thanks for listening in to the Calvary Podcast, coming to you from Miami, Florida. We're so glad you've joined us. We hope today's message will encourage you and remind you that God is with you and He's for you. Here's today's message. Bibles, go to Nehemiah chapter 4. Nehemiah chapter 4. We're going to look at a couple verses, and uh, so I want you to stay with me. And uh, what's happened is a lot to unpack here, but I think it's going to relate to a lot of us because we're all going to go through adversity. We're all going to go through some difficult times, whether it's by circumstances or people. And Nehemiah shows us, gives an example of how we are to fight back against adversity and hardships in our life. Picking up at verse 1, says this, now when Sam Ballot heard that we were building the wall he was angry and greatly enraged and he jeered at the jews and he said in the presence of his brothers and in the army of samaria what are these feeble jews doing will they restore it for themselves will they sacrifice will they finish it up in a day will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burn one at that tobiah the amorite was beside him and he chimed in saying yes what they are building if a fox goes up on it, he will break down their stone wall. You ever seen the movie uh, Beauty and the Beast? You remember Gaston and LeFou? Tobias LeFou, like he's not that guy, but he's like the guy in the background that, that he's just goofy, he's a sidekick, he's ugly, and it's just, just, I'm sorry. This is how I read my Bible. It just keeps me entertained, okay. Now Nehemiah prays in response to what they were saying. He says, Hear, O God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads. Give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight. For they have provoked you, God, to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall, and all the walls was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. But when Sambal and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that they were repairing the walls of Jerusalem, was going forward, and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were angry. And they plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem to cause confusion in it. And Nehemiah says, okay, we're going to pray to our God and set a guard as protection against them day and night. But what happens is Sambalit, Tobiah, and all the associates, what they're saying starts to get to the spirits of God's people. And it kind of discourages them. And look what it says here. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. So now their lives are in danger. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, you must have returned to us. So in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, I stationed the people. Nehemiah is going through some strategy. In the most vulnerable places, I stationed people by their clans, their families, with swords, spears, and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people. He's giving a pep talk now. And he goes, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And they continue, and it says this. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plans, because that's what God does, we all returned to the wall. We got back to work. And from that day on, half of my servants worked on construction, and half held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the coats of mail. 
and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that loaded, labored on the work with one hand, they had a tool, and held a weapon in the other hand. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built, and the man who sounded the trumpet was beside me. Crazy, crazy scripture and a lot to unpack, and I think a lot of us are gonna relate to this. If you're taking notes, what I wanna talk about today is the advantage of adversity. The advantage of adversity. And I just pray today that God would just encourage us, get our, get our fight back for our families. I also feel that, man, this is a message and we'll get into it, but men, a message for our men and our fathers in our church and that God is calling us to stand up and be the loudest voice in our families and society. And I think we're gonna learn what that looks like. So let's pray and ask God to bless our time together. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for everybody in this room gathered together. God, we just pray that as we open up your word, the story of Nehemiah will come to life in our hearts. It would encourage us. It would just help us to, in the face of adversity, in the face of hardship and difficulties, God, it would help us to see that, God, even in those difficult times, God, you are with us, you are for us and not against us. And you wanna bless our homes, you wanna bless our families, you wanna bless our lives. I also pray for people here today, Lord Jesus, that don't know you, they don't have a relationship with you, they maybe walked into this church not knowing what was going on. I pray that today will be the day of salvation for their lives, that they would make a decision to follow after you. And God, any of those getting baptized, Lord Jesus, that we would go celebrate them after service and their lives would be changed. And uh, God, you would just continue to bless and put your hand upon our church here in Calvary. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And everybody said, amen. amen and amen. amen. So during the days of Nazi Germany, there was a young shoemaker named Janice Roos, and he was pro-Nazi activity. He was somebody that was bought into the Nazi regime and propaganda because he was looking for power and recognition. He wanted to be known. He, wanted, he was literally jumping on the bandwagon of the Nazis, and he wanted to, to be recognized. That was his life. But we all know how that story goes. In World War II, the Nazi regime fell, and those that were pro-Nazi agenda were facing punishment, were facing ridicule. And so Janice Roos, because he did not want to face his punishment, he had a plan. And his plan was to go with his sister in Slovenia and live in her barn and hide out until things cool down. Now the plan was, he was gonna be in hiding for just a brief moment. It wasn't, it's not a long-term plan. It's like, I'm gonna wait till things get, get chill and everybody's relaxed and I can come back out and nobody will know that I was pro-Nazi, all that stuff. But because he had so much fear of what he had to face, his hiding went from weeks to months to literal years. This is a true story. This man hid in that barn for 32 years. This is crazy. This is, I mean, this is a legitimate, real story. This man exists, and he lived in this barn for 32 years because fear imprisoned him and, and, and made his imagination grow of the punishment he was gonna face. So he didn't even see his mom, he didn't go to his mom's funeral, he didn't go outside, he didn't go shopping, he didn't do anything. For 32 years, he stayed hidden in his own make-believe prison. What happens is, is after the 32 years, somebody just found him, and his story got to the media at the time, and he was interviewed by so many outlets, and he was quoted saying, and I'm paraphrasing it, but he says this, he says, I'm thankful somebody found me because if not, then I probably would have stayed hidden. Think about this story. 
It's literally about the power of fear in our lives. Fear kept him from living his full life. Fear kept him paralyzed, staying in one place. Fear kept him in prison, not living a full life. And that's what fear does. When fear comes upon us, it scares us. It terrifies us. We have situations in our life that literally cripple us to not even move or make decisions that can get us out of it. And the thing about this fear is that this fear didn't come out of nowhere. This fear was birthed out of adversity. Because of his actions and what he was preaching, this man had to face difficulties. This man knew of the misfortunes that were going to come in his life, and it scared him so much, fear came upon him so much that he went into hiding. The Bible talks about what happens when fear comes upon us. It says this in Job 3.25, For the thing which I greatly feared is come upon me, and that which I was afraid of is come unto me. Now here's the thing. Fear will come unto us when we face adversity, when we're going through things with our family, in our marriages, financially. All that tension can scare us to the point that fear comes on us, but then fear can get in us. And that's the problem. It's not a sin to have fear, but it's a sin, I believe, to stay in fear. And what happens is when fear comes on us, fear will then creep into us. And that's a problem. You will never make a good decision out of fear. In your life, you will never make a good decision out of fear. And here's the thing, all of us are gonna face adversity. Life is life. Bad things happen, good things happen, but, but there's always gonna be trials. And I just feel like today as I'm speaking, there's people going through adversity right now, maybe through this whole series, maybe just through your life, maybe just through the, next, the, the, the months that you've been living. Like There has been adversity in your life and fear is starting to creep in. It can happen to all of us. In our marriages, we look at our marriages and their adversity is right now, me and my wife, we are fighting a lot and there's a lot of tension. We've been married for a couple of years and we don't know if this is going to work out and we fear that the only solution is divorce. Or maybe it's your kids, your parents here and you, you feel your kids are making like horrible decisions. They're not coming to church. They're, they're disconnected. You can't relate to them. You don't know how to talk to the things that they're dealing with in school and you have a fear that you might lose your students. You might lose your children to social media and to politics and to the things happening in school. It's a real fear. Maybe it's financially. No one ever taught you how to use a credit card or handle debt or your mortgage or your credit score and you feel like there's, you're helpless trying to figure out life and it's like it's just stressful in your marriage because you guys have a budget but you guys always go over budget or you feel like every time you get paid, you see it's negative and you're like, I only eat McDonald's, how is it always negative? I don't understand. Like what is happening? Like it's just, you fear that it'll never get better. Or maybe it's adversity of your health. We all go through health problems, whether it's a broken bone or whether it's cancer, whether it's mental health, and we fear that we'll never get better. In that moment, you can hear preaching, you can get prayed over, and sometimes you just feel like, man, I just don't think I'm going to get better, and you fear that you won't. The truth is, adversity is inevitable, but living in fear does not have to be. And what I love about Nehemiah is that we can find hope in a relationship with God that when we are facing adversity, that when fear starts to creep in, we can say, not today. I believe in God. I believe in God's word. He's with me. He's for me. Even though I don't like what's going on, I know that God is doing something for me. There's hope for us. What fear you have today? What fear are you being crippled by? What adversity is staring you down, has pushed you against the corner? Believe in God again. Is something that we see in Nehemiah, like literally, they are not strangers to adversity. 
Nehemiah and God's people are literally staring adversity in the face through public humiliation, through death threats. I mean, it is bad, bad, bad. And here's what I love that Nehemiah shows that there is hope. Right. I love this quote. JK, uh, JK, or GK Chesterton says this, the Bible tells us to love our neighbors and also to love our enemies, probably because they are generally the same people. Not my neighbors, no way, they're nice people, they're great. Not the person I'm sitting next to, they're great. Um, this is true, and this is what's happening in Nehemiah. The people that are his neighbors are trying to kill him, but it's not on his power to fight back, it's God's fight. And so you have to figure out that tension, that's what it's, that's what it's like to be a Christian. It's like, I pray for my enemy, I don't, I don't hurt my enemy. God takes care of that. But, but this, is, this, is, this is a bad situation. Remember, we've been leading up to this point where Nehemiah is talking to the king and he, his heart breaks for his people and the wall needs to be rebuilt in Jerusalem. And he finally gets here. And what does he see? It's rubble. It's nothingness. It's, depre it's depression. It's, okay, I didn't know it was this bad. I mean, it's rubble everywhere. It's destruction everywhere. There's hopelessness everywhere. The truth is our life can look like that. Just rubble, just destruction, torn down walls. Something that used to be magnificent now is meaningless. This is what he's facing. And then on top of that, he's got Sam Ballant and the whole crew are now coming up to them and they are jeering, the Bible says, at God's people. They're kicking them when they're already down, when they're low in spirits, when they're staying at this situation and they're just verbal assault after verbal assault. Then Tobiah jumps in, then other people jump in and they're getting that oppressed at all sides. But now there's plots to kill them. Because here's the thing, these guys were angry and greatly enraged, the Bible says. Why, because the people of God were messing with their money and power. There was a power dynamic dichotomy in that region and a strong united Israel, a strong united Jerusalem ruined that, ruined that power. And Sam Ballant and Tobiah were like, we don't want that to happen. We don't want them to be strong. We want them to be weak. We want them to be, we want them to be like struck down. We want them not to ever build these walls. We don't want them to ruin what we believe is right. So what happens, they were greatly, greatly enraged and angry. And that led not just to verbs or words, it led to anger by the way of violence. They were violent. They planned to kill them, kill their families, kill their lives. And all that got into the spirit of God's people. Now they're discouraged and they are looking at the robot and they're going, maybe they're right. Maybe this is pointless. Why am I trying to fix my life? Why am I trying to do things better? Why am I, why am I even putting the effort if I feel like nothing is coming out of this? Just assault, just, just being made fun of, just feel like God has abandoned us. And then what happens is because of the death threats, they have fear. So they have discouragement and then they have fear. They're scared for their lives, scared for their families. And so what Nehemiah is facing is there's, there's adversity outside the ranks and now there's fear within the ranks. And so now they're at a crossroads. Like all of us are in our lives facing adversity and fear. They have to decide, are they going to see adversity as an advantage or avoid it and hide away in fear, be paralyzed by fear, Run away, run away from their problems, run away like, like it's just gonna fix itself and we're just gonna, we're just gonna run away and believe that, that God will do it but we're not gonna be a part of it because we're too scared. Wow. This is the, the choice we have to make. This is what we have to deal with. 
And I know you're saying, well, Phil, how do I, how do I look at what I'm going through as an advantage? It feels like a disadvantage. It feels like this is pointless. It feels like I'm just being hurt to be hurt. I feel like God has abandoned me. I feel like God is not for me. I feel like God is, is literally watching me suffer and doing nothing about it. How can my adversity, how can my hardships, how can my difficulties be an advantage to me? Let me share this illustration to help. There is a artist named Sir James Thornhill and he was working on some art in a small dome at the cathedral, the, um, the St. Paul's Cathedral in London, and he just finished a piece of art. He just started painting something, and he finished it, and he looks back to view it, to marvel at it, to see if there's any details that need to be fixed, but the problem was, because he's in a small dome, and it's in an elevated area, he needed a scaffold to get to it, and so when he looks at the painting, what happens is he's actually on the edge of the scaffold, and if he was to take one step back to get a better view, he would literally fall off the scaffold and kill himself. But the other painter, his apprentice that was there, saw this, grabbed the paintbrush, smeared the painting, and what happened was James, Sir James rushed to the painting, and his life was saved. Listen to me, church. When the picture of our life or ministry is not all we thought it would be, Maybe the master artist, God himself, is rescuing us from something far worse, preparing us for something far better. Listen to me. What happened to Nehemiah made them better. It brought out the best out of them. And some of you right now feel broken. You feel beaten, but you're not broken and beaten. You're getting better. In Jesus' name, I'm getting better. I'm not going down. I'm not staying beat up. I'm not staying tortured. I'm not staying feeling sorry for myself. I believe God has something for me, and just right I'm about to fall, God brings me back up. You're not being, you're not broken, you're getting better in Jesus' name. But you gotta see it though. Because if you don't see it, you'll never get better. You'll just blame God and blame people and blame yourself. But God is going to change your circumstances, working behind the scenes for your better. I'll put it this way, and maybe you can agree with me here. Blessings emerge in affliction that are rarely found in periods of ease. Think about how many times you say you're blessed coming out of darkness than going into the light. Like, like you, like God, God healed me from cancer. I'm blessed. God brought my students to Friday nights. I'm blessed. God saved my marriage. I'm blessed. But it was those hard times that you could say, I'm blessed. And so if you're a mature Christian, and what God, I think, is doing through the series of Nehemiah is asking us to really look at ourselves and say, can I handle a storm in my life and literally see it as an advantage? Because in God's hands... Your pain is not purposeless, especially if it drives you back to him and you're dependent on his presence. And it's like, I got to get into the presence of God. I got to get in my word. I got to get to church. I don't care what's happening. I don't care if me and my wife are in a fight. We're going to be sitting in church worshiping Jesus because we got to fight. We're going to fight for what we believe in. And God is going to help us and God's going to meet us there. Adversity in the hands of Satan will create fear in you. Adversity in the hands of God will cultivate faith out of you. That's, that's, that's as simple as it is. It's like those hard times make you. Sometimes you got to get knocked down so the only way you can look is up and see Jesus as your Savior, as your hope, as your healer, as your provider, as your Savior. It's adversity that's our advantage. 
We don't avoid adversity. We run towards it knowing that we're not going to be broken. We're not going to get beat up. Though we may feel it, we're going to beat this thing. In Jesus' name. I love this quote by the late, great Charles Stanley, who is in paradise with Jesus right now. He says this, adversity is not simply a tool. It is God's most effective tool for the advancement of our spiritual lives. The circumstances and events that we see as setbacks are often the very things that launch us into the periods of intense spiritual growth. Once you begin to understand this and accept it as a spiritual fact of life, adversity becomes easier to bear. It's how you see it. It's what you believe God says he is and what he can do. Because if you believe what God is and when you believe what he can do, then the adversity will be easier to bear and you know that there's going to be spiritual formation that comes out of you. I'm going to be a better father. I'm going to be a better mother. I'm going to be a better leader. I'm going to be a better son and daughter because of what I'm going through. Not lack of adversity, but promotion of adversity. I, I embrace it because God is with me. But now the question is, right? That all sounds nice, but it's what does that look like practically? When we are in a situation, like maybe some of us are here today, and there's, inst there's instability in, in our homes, and there's instability in our marriages, and finding all those examples that I gave, you can, you can fill in the blank with yours. Like, like, how do we turn, what does it look like to turn our adversity into our advantage? Well, I think we follow Nehemiah's example. And what did Nehemiah do? Three things. He prayed, he planned, he persevered. He prayed, he planned, and he persevered. And the first thing, in literally verses four through five, you can look at it later, verses four through five, he prayed urgently. He didn't waste time. We literally, the first three verses is Sam Ballot and his friends all verbally assaulting God's people and Nehemiah. But what you notice from verse three to four, there is no gap. There is no buffering. There is no AOL dial-up, like just waiting. Like, no, he literally starts praying. Right then and there, he didn't wait, he didn't, he didn't second guess it, he went and prayed urgently. Because here's why, the things people may say may hurt us, and, but they can never harm us. Unless, listen to me, we let them get into our system and poison us. How does that happen? We give it time. We give it time. We let the, what people say about us, or do to us, or life beat us up, and we do nothing about it, and we just let it sit there, we let it simmer, we, we ponder, we just think about it, until we go crazy and start believing the very thing said about us. Or, like Nehemiah, you say, I'm not going to give it time, I'm not going to wait for it, I'm going to rush, I'm going to sprint into the presence of God. I got to get to church. I got to call somebody from my connect group. I need prayer. I need somebody. I'm not going to wait. I have all these lies, all these arrows from the enemy. I'm going to rush into God's presence. I'm not going to wait. I'm not going to let it fester and just grow into something that's going to harm me and poison me and my family. Whatever is being said about you or whatever is being done to you, give it to God immediately, urgently, as Nehemiah did. He also prayed honestly. Nehemiah was angry. I mean, think about this. He's giving his life for this, for these people. These people are, are, are giving their all to build this wall, putting everything on the line. And here they are. These guys have the right to berate them, to, to ridicule them, to make fun of them, to, to downplay what God's trying to do. I believe Nehemiah is angry. And so that anger now spills over to his prayer, and he prays honestly. Here's the thing. Anger itself is not a sin but because it is a powerful emotion if not checked if not controlled can lead us to very bad sin it's a difference now I didn't say that listen to me I didn't say anger 
is, is okay. Like, don't go home and scream at everybody. Like, that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying it's not a sin. Jesus got angry. Like, Jesus got angry, angry. He was whipping people. He was, he, was, he, was, he was upset because the temple had turned into a den of thieves, he says. He got angry. But Jesus had a righteous anger. It's being angry about the right things. Like, like we should be angry that there are millions and millions of babies being aborted every single year. And it should cause us to do something. We should get angry that we look at Togo, Africa, and there's kids that don't have food on their tables. I'm going to do something about it. I get angry when I hear about the human sex trafficking, that, that, that slave, like slavery is not dead and it's happening to human sex trafficking. What can I do about it? I'm angry. I don't, want it to, I don't want this to continue. That's the right anger, that there's something not right. There's something going against God, and it caused me to do something for God. But here's the thing. A lot of us, if we could be honest, even myself included, anger is hard to control. And so what I love about this, and it says in Ephesians 4.26, it says, be angry and do not sin. So you can be angry, but, but do not sin. Don't let your son go down on your anger. Make sure your anger is controlled and checked. But one of the best ways, and I think what Nehemiah teaches us, is that our anger doesn't get released on people, but in prayer. That's so big. That my anger towards other people or things happening to me or even my own failures doesn't go on my kids, doesn't, doesn't get released on my wife, doesn't get released on my coworkers. I take it to God because he can handle it. I take it to God because I want his presence is a safe place to be myself, to be honest. When was the last time you were honest before God? Like honest, like God, I'm going through it. Sometimes we, because we, we, we wait, anger starts to boil up. And, and it goes on the people closest to us. But Nehemiah's like, no, no, my anger led me to prayer. Here's the thing, though. I think he was so quick to go to God is because he remembers what God can do for him. Look what it says in Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. It is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Nehemiah goes, oh, no, this is not my battle. You know what he prays? He literally prays this. God bless us. Deal with them. That's what he prays. That's literally what he prays in verses 45. He says, God bless us, deal with them. And the reason he prayed that is not because of revenge out of his own personal vendetta. It's because they were mocking God. They were playing with God. They were, it was a David and Goliath situation. Goliath is taunting David and David's God and Israelite's God. And David goes, God, I pray that you would help me like, kill this uncircumcised Philistine. And what did God do? He took care of him. And some of us got to understand that God fights for you. God fights on your behalf. Don't put all that weight and build up anger and build up impatience and, and take it out on other people. God fights for you. Vengeance is his. Somebody wronged you, somebody hurt you. Justice is his. Literally, don't be Peter who cuts the guy's ear off when Jesus is trying to get arrested to save humanity. It's like, Peter, chill. I have to go on the cross. Like, chill out, bro. God. Like, we can't, don't be that Peter. Like, God is going to do what God is going to do. And it's going to be better than anything that we can ask, think, or imagine. But pray about it. Pray to him urgently and honestly. It's not just enough to pray, right? He prays, but then Nehemiah, because he's a man of God, he's technical, he's, he's organized, he, he has an eye for things to be structured. He goes, okay, we got a plan. 
And that's the thing. Some of us, we, we want to pray for change, but we need to do stuff for our lives to change too. Like God does the supernatural, we do the natural. And so Nehemiah's like, okay, what, what's the plan? What are we going to do? What, what, what are we going to do here? And so, okay, here's the plan. All the places that are vulnerable along the wall, what I'm going to do is I'm going to place every clan there, a family, and I'm going to give them weapons. And just, all right, you grab a sword, you grab a spear, you grab a shield, here you go. And on paper, you're like, Nehemiah, you're crazy. You're giving my four-year-old a sword? What's wrong with you? She's going to kill me. Like, what's happening? But there's a purpose behind Nehemiah's plan. Like, why would he have the women and children be close by to the soldiers? It's to remind them. They're doing more than just building a wall. They're fighting for their family. They're fighting for the ones that they love. They're fighting for their kids. They're fighting for their wives. They're fighting for their cousins. They're fighting for their aunts, their uncles. It's not just a wall, an inanimate object that's the most important thing to God. It's protect your family. And I believe in verses 13 to 14, what God is trying to tell us men is that men, we that are godly, we bless women and children. We bless them. And I feel like this is why this is such an important series because it's, hand, it's talking about things in society that we need as a church to do better at. Like what is society trying to take out of the homes? Men, fathers. Like if they could take out men, then, then they win. And here's the thing, here at Calvary, we are, we are pro-women empowerment. You're going to see women on the stage. Diana Capriz, we got amazing communicators. They're all women. It's awesome. We have flourish. We love it. But God's design was for the head of the house to change society, starting with his home. Here's the thing. I think a lot of us, we forgot that responsibility. And my wife will take care of reading to the kids and doing their homework and doing all that stuff. And, I'll, you know, Phil, I'm going to drop them off on Friday and Phil will teach them the Bible. That'd be fine. It's going to be great. You're the pastor of your home, man. You're the pastor of your home. There's a story when I was uh, camped two years ago and uh, there was issues in the sixth grade girls' cabin. And uh, there was a lot of them. And uh, so there was a lot of issues. And uh, the leaders, they were, they were new leaders. It was their first camp, so it's always difficult. It's always tough. And they were just trying to just get some order, and things were going all over the place. And, and uh, they go, Phil, we just need your help. Can you step in and just talk to the girls and kind of set the tone? And so we, we get on the golf cart, and we get to the camp, uh, their cabin. And right, you, can, like, you don't have to walk in. It's like a zoo in there. It's chaos. It's like things, people are screaming. There's stuff flying around everywhere. But the moment I walked in, they all sat down, they were quiet, and they were staring right at me. And I don't think I'm that intimidating of a person, but, but there's something about like, there's just a respect. It's God's design, it just makes sense. Like I walked in, I literally sat down, I go, guys, what's going on? And they were like, they were very honest, they were very open. And it's not that the girl leaders were any less than, or they were less, no, no, it, it's just, Whenever society tries to go against God's plan, there's going to be disaster. I mean, Google the stats of what America looks like due to fatherless homes. It's terrible. It's awful. It's because that's not how God designed it. God designed it for fathers to be the pastor of their homes, to be with their families, to love on their families, to bless their families, to pray for their families, to fight for their families, to step in for their kids, to step in when society's trying to teach them some craziness. It's, it's, it's my dad steps in and fights for me. And, and here's the thing, men, fathers, and when we talk about families in general, 
like evil doesn't stop itself like society and what they're pushing this agenda is not just gonna be like, oh you know what? we've been pushing it for a couple months we're just gonna chill for a little bit it doesn't stop it will never stop but we can stand up and say it stops with my family evil's not gonna touch my home evil's not gonna touch my kids like that's not gonna happen in my house because God has called me to fight for my family I build the church but I fight for my family evil never stops and the third thing that they did he prayed he planned and he persevered look what it says it says we all return to the wall we were discouraged for a little bit we had a little bit of fear but we got back to work because there's a job that needs to get done there's a calling over my life from God Nehemiah we're with you what do we need to do and so Nehemiah gives us an illustration it's an incredible illustration and this is what it looks like when you join Nehemiah's dream team at church you 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 don't get a nice gift bag there's no circle ba cafe voucher so like it's like we we want to join dream team awesome here's a shovel here's a sword you're going to build and you're going to battle you're going to build and you're going to battle listen to me they're building the wall they're building the church they're building their families but they're also fighting for their families. They're fighting for their kids. They're not sitting idly by till evil can just take over. We gotta fight. It's not enough just to build a church. It's not enough to just join Connect Group. We gotta fight for our families. We gotta fight for Jesus. We gotta fight for the gospel. You gotta do both, my friend. You gotta do both. Listen to me. We, we can't just build and get so focused, like, well, I'm just gonna build Calvary and I'm gonna love people and I'm not gonna offend nobody and I'm just gonna be in my little corner, in my little connect group, meeting at Starbucks and we're gonna talk really low so no one hears about Jesus because we're building the church. That's great. But what happens if someone puts an agenda in your face and they, dis, they, they, they defend the name of God, they, they come at you with an agenda that's anti-Christ, what do you do? We're building the church, we're building the church, we're not gonna do nothing. No, you fight, you fight back. Notice, did, did God's people start to fight? We don't attack people. We don't attack, but we protect and we defend. Does, does, everybody, does everybody at your house right now have a door, have a window? Because if you don't, you need to go to your house right now. Like that's, why? because we don't want evil to take anything from our homes. We don't want Satan to come and kill, steal, and destroy what we have, so we protect it. We put a door, we put a window, we put an alarm system, some of us has gun, hello, and we make sure that we protect our families. And it's enough time, we can build. Building is easy, but what if you get so caught up building that your wife needs you, that your kids need you, they need you to fight for them, and you're absent, and you're nowhere to be found because you're too busy building. You gotta do both. And hear me out, this is not like some, this is not like some rally thing where I'm, I'm not advocating violence. I've never gotten in a fight in my life, I can't fight. I'm not like, I'll, I'll get killed, I'll get whooped. Like I'm not, like I'm, I'm not that guy, all right? Look. It's not what I'm advocating for. Just saying it's time for us to do both. And get used to that literally building and battling is what it looks like to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. And your, fa your family will be better off for it. Your life will be better off for it. Don't hurt yourself, Sherwood. Be careful. It's a sword from Game of Thrones, they told me, but I've never heard of that show. I'm a Christian. Uh, so I'll finish with this as time comes up and the band can start coming up. Prayer, planning, perseverance. 
But I also think as we conclude, there's one last thing I wanna talk about and that's this, I think this is Nehemiah in a nutshell. I think this is Nehemiah, if you were to pack all the chapters into a statement, it is this. I got this from Pastor Mark Driscoll, it's incredible and it's challenged me. He says this, your pain tolerance determines your leadership lid. Father, your, your, your influence with your kids depends on your, your pain tolerance. Mom, your influence with your kids and your husband is determined by your pain tolerance. Like no influence or no pain, no influence. You want influence, you gotta have pain. You, 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 you can't have one without the other. And I'm not talking about social media influence. I'm not talking about influencers. I'm talking about us in our homes, influencing our kids to be more like Jesus. Our families that don't know Jesus, that they would look at our lives and see us. You're gonna have to go through pain. Let me ask you a question. Who was the one man that marked the history of the world forever? The most influential, the most well-known, the most, like changed the world. It's Jesus. It's Jesus Christ. People know about Jesus. Bible's still the number one selling book in the world. He was on Time Magazine. I mean, people, the world knows who Jesus is. Who was the man who endured the, the worst pain physically possible in the world? Jesus. Think about this. He went from heaven to earth. Pain. I mean, Miami to paradise, but it's not heaven. Went from being worshiped to angels, by angels, to being hated by his own family. Pain. He went to healing and helping people, teaching people, life-giving messages. People would mock him, plan to kill him. Pain. He gets betrayed by one of his disciples, Judas. Pain. He gets abandoned by one of his friends, Peter. Pain. On that, or before the cross, he's tried illegally, he's beaten, he's tortured, he's humiliated, stripped naked, pain. On the cross, pain. On the cross, what does God say? Or what does what he say, God, why have, you for, why have you forsaken me? Alone, pain. Hands nailed, feet nailed, pain. It's pain and pain and pain, insufferable pain that Jesus dealt with. But we know how the story goes, right? On that cross, he dies, and then they bury him in the tomb. But after three days, we feel, we realize that he, we, we see that he's resurrected, that he's alive, that he's still speaking, he's still healing, he's still moving. Listen to me, there's no higher throne than the throne of Jesus. Nothing can defeat it, nothing can stand against it, nothing can harm it, nothing can compare with it, nothing can rival it. The name of Jesus is powerful. The person of Jesus is powerful, and his throne is the highest. Jesus had the highest influence because he went through the greatest pain. So if we want influence, be comfortable with pain. You can't avoid it. You can't run from it. You can't escape it. Mom, dad, you can't escape it. Son, daughter, you can't escape it. Friend, you can't escape it, but embrace it and know that your influence will reach places you can't even imagine, that your life will change other people's life. Your story matters in the hands of Jesus. Your life doesn't have to be marked by pain, that is worthless, it's pointless. There is hope for your life. Why don't we stand up to our feet as we wrap up service? I wanna pray for two groups of people. First and foremost, I just want to pray for the men and fathers of our house. Let me tell you, we have incredible men in this church. This is not a knock to nobody, and if it's for you, it's for you, and if it's not, it's not. But there's incredible men 
in this church. And I encourage you young guys, find a, find a, 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 a godly man whose marriage is, is good, not perfect, but it's good. They love their kids. They love serving the house of Jesus and be like glue to them. Ask them questions. Don't wait for an Instagram preacher to come to a service and want to be mentored by them. No, you got people that can mentor you right here, right now. There's mentors here. There's manly, there's man of God here. And for the older generation, there's incredible young guys coming up in this church that are on fire for Jesus, that love the gospel, that, that, that have the right heart. We need to mentor them. We need to bring them up too. Maybe it's a different generation. Don't let that... Listen, we all follow the same Jesus. That's all that matters. We're on the same mission following after Jesus. But I want to pray for you guys because I think it's time for us to take responsibility back, to really pray for our kids, to really like fight for our kids and our marriages. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, things are going to get worse for men in society. Just go on Twitter, Instagram. It's like men are the worst things ever. I open my mouth and I'm a, a terrible person. But you're the plan to save society that God has chosen. So if you're, if you're a man, a father in this house, why don't you just lift up both your hands just to receive this blessing. I just want to pray over you guys. And if there's a, a man by you guys, if you could just put your hand upon them, just lay hands on them. Come on, we need strong men in this place. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you. I thank you. I thank you for the strong men of Calvary. I thank you for the faithful men of Calvary. I thank you for the strong fathers, the faithful fathers. I thank you for the men that take responsibility. I thank you for those that fight for their families, that love their families. God, it's not always perfect. There's going to be craziness. And sometimes our kids are going to drive us crazy. Sometimes life is not always going to be perfect. And sometimes work is going to be stressful. And sometimes we got to make sacrifices. But God, I just pray, Holy Spirit, you would just raise up men to follow after you. Raise up men that would fight for their families no matter what. That it's their responsibility to teach the Bible. It is their responsibility to pray to their people, to pray to their kids. And God, maybe there's somebody here today, they didn't have a good father growing up. They didn't have a father in their life. They didn't have somebody that can teach them the, the, what, what's, the, what's the manual of being a good dad. God, I pray that they would get in their word and know they have a heavenly father that loves them, that's for them, that will never leave them nor forsake them. God, that you are with them even if they don't know where to go. Bless them, protect them. Anoint them from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet, Lord Jesus. That we would see men here at Calvary more passionate about the gospel than ever before. That we would see more men raising up their hands during worship, Lord Jesus. That we would see more men being inspired by the gospel. We thank you, Lord, for what's to come. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Um, yeah, praise God. One last group of people and we'll wrap up. I apologize, I went over. Um, but we're going to finish up here, I promise. And this is for you. Maybe you don't have a relationship with Jesus. Every Sunday, we never want to ever do church and not give an opportunity for you to have your life changed forever. We hinted at it earlier, but Jesus is the greatest gift to mankind. The greatest. Your life with Jesus is going to be radically changed forever. You're, gonna have, you're still going to have hard days, but you're going to have Jesus with you, the power of the Holy Spirit, and you're going to have salvation for your soul. You're going to have heaven as your home, and hell will not be the place that you are destined for anymore. How do you do it? Like I said earlier, he came down from heaven to earth and his, he was born as a baby. He started all the way from the beginning to grow up to be a man. And yes, Jesus, while he was on earth, he preached, he teached, he did all these incredible things, but his whole mission, his main mission was to die on the cross for us. Why? Because you're a sinner and I'm a sinner. And we were supposed to be on that cross, figuratively speaking. It was meant for us. We were supposed to die that death. 
that our sin leads us to a place of destruction. But Jesus, because he loves you so much, he loves me so much, he says, no, 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 not on my watch. I will take their place. And so Jesus was on that cross, hands nailed, feet nailed, a crown of thorns on his head. He took his last breath on that cross. They took his body, they put him in a tomb. They went to go find Jesus. He was not there. And Jesus does the impossible that no other religious guru, leader, deity ever did. He defeated death and he defeated sin. And here's all you have to do. That's what I love about Christianity. It's the easiest. All you have to do is surrender your life. That's it. All you have to do is put your life and faith in Jesus. He did all the work. You don't have to, you don't have to die on a cross. You don't have to suffer. There's no destruction for your life. All you have to do is say, Jesus, I want you to come into my life. Forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. Make me brand new. I want to follow after you and your life will be saved. So with every eye closed, every head bowed, I want to give you this opportunity. Don't wait for next week. Today is the day of salvation. Tomorrow's not promised for no man. Know where you're going to spend eternity today and forever, but also that you're going to have a purpose like no other here on earth. If you want to give your life to Jesus on the count of three, I want you to lift up your hands. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to put a mic in your face. I want to see who I'm praying for on the count of three. One, two, three. You want to give your life to Jesus. God bless you. 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 I see you. God bless you. I see you. God bless you. I see you. You can put your hands down. Hey, I'm going to lead you guys in a prayer. This is a prayer between you and Jesus. And uh, at Calvary, we do this together as a, as a family. And so why don't we say this loud and proud with our fellow brothers and sisters as they make the decision. It goes like this. Lord Jesus, I open my heart. I invite you inside to be my friend, to be my savior, to be my God. Lord, forgive me of my sins. Wash me clean. From this day forward, I want to follow you all the days of my life. Lord, I love you and I thank you. And everybody said, Amen. come on, let's put our hands together. Best decision of your life. Thank you, Arnold. Hey, if we could just hold off for a moment, we're going to break up for, um, we're going to break up to baptisms in a moment, but real quick, if you gave your life, if you raised your hand, man, we want to give you a gift. This day is special. We're not going to give you a sword and a shovel. We're going to give you something nice. We're going to take care of you. And there is a free coffee voucher here at Circle Cafe. There's, there's an amazing amount of goodies in here, but most importantly, there's a Bible that is easy to read and is free 99 for you, a gift from us to you. And I thank you for everybody who gives and ties to Calvary because of your giving. We get to give thousands of Bibles every year for free. The best gift you could give somebody. And so thank you on your behalf and your generosity. So right after service, there's a connect tent. Grab this. They're going to give it to you. It is free.